What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. It's Maroon Friday, folks. Is it just me, or has this been like the longest week of the year? And maybe it's because we beat Auburn, and I'm so eager to see the team get back on the field. Or maybe it's because of the fact that uh, we're back in the playoff rankings and you think maybe we can play our way into a really nice bowl game. But it has been a long week. I feel like they added an extra day or two to this week. But it's finally game day eve. Now, we talked about Tennessee State extensively on Wednesday. I feel great about the game. I just want to win it, get the starters out, let some of the younger guys get some PT, let Chance Lovertich kind of run the scheme in the second half. But, you know, we played Vanderbilt. We didn't do a whole lot of that. You know, that kind of happened late. But the reality of it is, with a short work week, I know, like many of you, I'd like to see our guys get, uh, get their legs under them a little bit. I think that's an important part of all of this. We talked a little bit, I guess, on uh, Wednesday, too, about the, you know, the fact that we're, we're going to play at 11 and Ole Miss is going to play at night. I think that is, um, I think that is significant. I don't think it's insignificant. Now, if they were playing on the road, it would be a bigger deal. But, um, you know, they start at 630, probably won't get done until much later than we do. It's senior day in Oxford. So it's an emotional day. It's fun day. And it's a game they should win handily. And my hope is, I shared with you guys on Wednesday, my hope is that, um, you know, Vanderbilt can at least make this game competitive for a while. Because when you start thinking about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Ole Miss will win this game, I don't think there's any question. I think they'll win it, win it pretty handily. But my hope is they put them away – in the second half. They didn't last year. They put them away early. A lot, of, a lot of us, including myself, were hoping that Vanderbilt could pull the upset last year. I mean, that's always the case, right? I mean, it's like your two favorite teams are Mississippi State and whoever plays Ole Miss. But we don't have a very good second favorite team this week. And to be fair uh, to Ole Miss, there have been some games this year that have been toss-ups that they've played really well in. You, can say, you know, you could argue, hey, the scoop and score got taken away from Tennessee and they ended up losing a five-point ball game. That's still a good win for Ole Miss. And then the win last weekend against A&M. And so it is impossible to say that, yeah, hey, Ole Miss not good this year. They are. 
They are. They're kind of built for this year. And the thing that I go back to, and it's, uh, you know, one of the things that I know that uh, there's some homeless people out there like, well, hey, no, no, there's no, none of that. No. You got a Heisman caliber candidate quarterback, and you could potentially uh, go nine and three. That's the thing I think about. It's like, hey, you, you don't get to Atlanta. You end up uh, actually finishing third in the West and lose the egg. I don't know how you could really consider that an overwhelming success, but, uh, you know, to each their own. One of the things I wanted to share with you guys, too, I know a lot of people have talked about this friendship between Lane and Mike Leach. Even some people have said, hey, you know, maybe maybe the rivalry will be a little less toxic. Okay, that, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not going to happen. Now, there have been some coaches, obviously, that have kind of ramped up the rhetoric. You know, Dan Mullen was one of those. Jackie Sherrill was one. Hugh Freeze to a certain extent. Uh, you know, they, they kind of enjoyed kind of goading each other. But, you know, Leach and, and Kiffin do have a friendship, you know, away from football. And so I think it's important to kind of recognize that. And it is a genuine thing. It's not one of those things that people say, well, it's just, you know, things they do and say just to be funny. But, uh, you know, like Lane Kiffin said last week that Mike Leach is the best offensive coach in America. And Leach responds, he goes, don't, don't kid yourself. Lane thinks he's the best offensive coach in America. And I think that's great. But some people say, well, you know, Steve, you know, we really want to hammer those guys when we get the opportunity, whether it be this year, next year, whenever. But here's something I want to share with you guys, too. So Leach and Kevin Sumlin are also friends. I mean, Kevin is his buddy. Kevin's a guy that's been to Key West and spent time at Leach's house. They're friends. Much like Len Kiffin and Mike Leach are friends. And so in 2018, when someone was at Arizona, of course, they're in the Pac-12, they had a chance to play Washington State. And remember, these are friends. The halftime score was Mike Leach and Washington State 55, Kevin Sumlin and Arizona 14. Arizona adds a couple touchdowns in the third quarter, and then just to make, you know, I guess just to make matters worse, Mike Leach outscores them 14 nothing in the fourth, and they win the game 69-28. And, of course, that's the Gardner Minshew year. Arizona wasn't very good that year. Kevin Sumlin kind of lost a little bit of his luster, but, but they were friends. And he still beat his friend 69-28. 69-28. That's nice. It's really nice. And so I say that to say friendships are not – when Mike Leach has a chance to beat somebody and Mike Leach has a chance to score points, Mike Leach is going to do that. Friendships or not. That's just the reality of life. So anybody that says, oh, you know, well, that won't happen, you're kidding yourself. You don't know Mike Leach very well. Had a chance to spend a lot of time with Mike Leach this week. I'll talk about that later in the show. Got an article coming up on Sunday, kind of detailing our experience and our time together on Wednesday. I told you guys I was working on something pretty cool. So I'm going to share some details about that with you uh, today. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. And the best way to thank them is to frequent their business. Great people providing a great product at a great price. Many people in the industry at this point are cutting back on portions and charging you the same amount. Not Bulldog Burger Company. Substantial portions. That's kind of their trademark. I don't know that I've ever finished a meal at Bulldog Burger Company. I say finished it. I've never eaten everything on a plate. Now, I've gotten full, but I've never really finished a meal, whether it be a salad or a hamburger and those great French fries 
You should go by and check them out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. I don't care what anybody tells you. It is science. It is a scientific fact that when you eat the spring rolls, you become better looking. And get that chocolate shake to go. And maybe if you don't want to bring a dessert with you, get the bread pudding. Eat it at the place. They have that Shipley's Donut Bread Pudding, which is absolutely tremendous. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. And I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, you know, we're thinking about Christmas, right? Make Christmas more special for the college students, the Mississippi State students in your life. Or maybe they go to Etiwamba, or maybe they go to, you know, UMC, whatever. Get, go to eatwithus.com and order some of those gift cards. Give the college students in your life a chance to get a great quality meal, a great restaurant quality hamburger. Maybe it's date night. Maybe it's a night out with friends or study buddies or whatever. Maybe you bankroll that and help them out a little bit. So aunts, uncles, grandparents, think about that. You got some college kids in your life. So you know what? Hey, I'd like for you guys to have a meal out on me. So go to eatwithus.com and you can put that under the Christmas tree. That's the Eat With Us gift cards they can use at Bulldog Burger Company. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, it is a very, very busy week in the SEC. A lot of games this week because we're a lot, a lot of non-conference games, including us. So let's kind of break that down. They're, listen, they're, they're going to be some good games this week, and they're going to be some really dog games this week, especially the early part of the, the, of the schedule. All four of the 11 a.m. kicks, all four of them, SEC teams versus non-conference opponents, many of them FCS opponents. So you should see some very lopsided scores. So Charleston Southern at Georgia, I have no idea what the line is on this game, but Georgia will win this game handily. As you guys are well aware, Georgia completely done with SEC play. They have clinched the East. They are undefeated. They are ranked number one in the country. They are number one in the FBS playoff rankings, as they should be. This will not be competitive in any stretch. Charleston Southern, a team that, um, you know, I assume they still run the triple option, but I don't know any offense that you're going to be able to run against Georgia that is going to have any success. Charleston Southern, the Buccaneers, are 4-5 and five this year. They beat Gardner-Webb last week 32-24. This will be the regular season finale for them. And looking at their record, it will be the 2021 season finale for them. Uh, they have not played anybody anywhere close to Georgia. And that's, to be fair, not many teams have. But uh, by and large, I guess the probably the biggest team they played this year has been Eastern Carolina. And they beat our friends from Campbell. All the more reason to root for Georgia. But uh, Georgia will win this game handily, as you guys are well aware. Prairie View at Texas A&M. And good on A&M. Good on A&M for reaching out and playing one of these great HBCUs and giving that check to a program that can really use it. There was a time that Prairie View was considered the worst program in all of college football. Not now. They're first in the Western Division of the SWAC with a 7-2 and two record. So they're going to play, end up playing uh, Jackson State in the SWAC championship game. That's a pretty cool thing, too. I mean, you look at the numbers here, too. I mean, it's like 
and they lose to Alcorn last week, 31-29. They'll lose to A&M, but, of course, that, that won't impact the standings. But you know, the loss to Alcorn uh, snapped a six-game winning streak for them. So pretty good program. And then they'll play Mississippi Valley State next week and, uh, and prepare for Jackson State. But this game will not be competitive, nor should it be. If, if you're Prairie View, you're thinking – you're probably looking at that game kind of like how we're looking at tennis – Tennessee State. We want to get out of here healthy and kind of get on to what really matters most. Bigger game, more important game on their schedule next week. Of course, Tennessee State at Mississippi State. That's where you guys will be. Now, that's going to be broadcast on the SEC Network Plus or ESPN Plus. So, here's the deal. it is You're going to have to use your app. If you have a smart TV, it's pretty easy. If you have a phone, you, of course, you can, uh, you can broadcast on your phone and uh, get that rigged up to show on your television. So you will be able to see the game, but it's not going to be on the SEC Network regular channel. I guess that's 611 on DirecTV. Um, but you will be able to watch it. The best thing to do is maybe come to Starkville. A lot of tickets available. I've had about a dozen people offer me tickets. I always kind of can gauge the crowd based on you know, the, the traffic when it comes to tickets throughout the week. I've had a lot of people offer me tickets. In the last couple ball games we played at home, a lot of people have been looking for tickets. Not so much this time. A lot of people are like, hey, I'm not going to be able to make the game. And a lot of people, it's like, I can't make that trip twice in a week. Can't do Tennessee State, turn around, come back for the Egg Bowl. Now, I understand that ticket sales for the Egg Bowl are going pretty well. So if you're considering coming up, maybe go ahead and make those plans today. Uh, to buy the tickets. But State should win this game handily. Again, I just want to get out of there healthy. Let's win the game and, uh, you know, get in the cool tubs and start watching some film uh, about Ole Miss. And as I share with you guys, too, there is the NCAA mandated day off. Well, for us, that'll be Friday. There's no reason for the guys to come in on Friday, right? You know, win or lose. So they will wrap up Saturday, and then we'll have basically – Film on Sunday and probably like a like walk through some corrections. We'll have a Monday practice, also a light practice. Tuesday, a light practice. And then Wednesday will be basically just, you know, a walkthrough for all intents and purposes. Then we'll play the game on Thursday. So your players will go basically from this Tuesday through Thursday without a day off. But Mike Leach trying to keep their legs under them uh, this coming week, so they will do what they can to kind of ensure that uh, things in the workload is a lot lighter, considering we have such a short week to work with. And so, uh, I, again, I think State wins this game handily. I think State also gets a little deeper into the uh, you know the depth chart. Now, one thing that I've kind of asked about is, hey, is there a chance that we see Sawyer Robertson or Daniel Greek this week? And I, I to this day, I don't understand how the narrative got started, Sawyer Robertson is running fourth team. Because, number one, we don't have a fourth team. Uh, and number two, you know, Sawyer Robertson in fall practice was better than Daniel Greek. And that's not to throw shade at Greek. But Sawyer is the more polished product of the two. And so, Sawyer Robertson basically is just a few weeks away from being your second team quarterback. That's the reality of life. And anybody that's telling you otherwise don't know what they're talking about. I'm just telling you what I know from what I've seen and what I've heard from the guys making those decisions. Sly Robertson's doing exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. And really, in some respects, I think he's a better athlete than Will. I think when he tucks it and goes, 
Not that he's a plus runner per se. I just think he's a little more mobile than Will. Not to say that Will had, has done a bad job, but let's be honest, you know, running the ball, not really his strength. Competitive guy who'll get out there and go try to get you a first down, but that's not really his strong suit. So how deep do we get? Do we see those guys or not? You know, what I would love to see is maybe Will do the first half and maybe the first drive of the third quarter and then Chance take over and then maybe you give a drive one to Saw Robertson and one to Daniel Greek. Like, I'd love to see that. But based on what I've learned, Leach hadn't done a whole lot of that. I think at Washington State, he did it once. Did it one time. Gave uh, Gordon uh, one uh, a series and then gave a walk-on quarterback a series. And a lot of that, too, was just letting those guys kind of get out there and kind of be rewarded for their work. Not to say that our guys don't deserve it. They certainly do. But by and large, Leach has not just, you know, played the string and kind of run out the whole depth chart uh, in a ball game. But hopefully, you know, we see some guys maybe we haven't seen as much this year because they can still maintain a redshirt year, whether it be Teddy Knox or Contravian Hargrove. Would love to see those guys get out there and play a little bit. New Mexico State is at Kentucky. You know, Kentucky's one of those teams, too. Like, they are better than I expected them to be. They're not as good as what many of the, the SEC pundits have made them out to be. The guys, they're 7-3 and three right now with two to play. So, theoretically, there is still the possibility of a 10-win season. I'm going to share with you guys, too, once we get done with this preview, kind of my personal bowl projections of what I expect to happen and kind of an, an, an either-or situation. You know, it's miss, in Mississippi State's best interest if Kentucky loses to Louisville. That game is at Louisville. Of course, that puts Mississippi State and Kentucky basically with the same record in the winning, in regular season. And State, of course, wins the head-to-head. Uh, so you think that would help us in the bowl pecking order. But, again, a lot of football left to be played. There's no way New Mexico State beats Kentucky. We'd love to see that happen. Don't expect it uh, by any stretch. Okay, the, your 230, your CBS game is Arkansas at Alabama. I think that's a pretty obvious pick. The only, only ranked matchup in the league this weekend, Arkansas at Alabama. And so our rooting interest in this deal is Alabama. You know, you, Arkansas, of course, owns the head-to-head against us. And so when I b- begin to look at this thing, okay, they're 7-3, and three, but they have two games left they're going to have to play. They're, they're going to lose this one, and then next weekend at home, they should beat Mizzou. It's a bit of a toss-up in many respects. But you lose this weekend, you're 7-4. and four, That puts them 8-4 and four right with us. Your rooting interest, obviously, is for Arkansas to lose both games. If Arkansas loses both games, the state wins out, then all of a sudden state's ahead in the in the schedule and in the standings, pardon me, and then the head-to-head doesn't really matter. Florida at Mizzou, I'll be honest with you, I think this is your Liberty Bowl play-in game. I really do. Both of these teams need a win to become bowl eligible. Florida, of course, has Mizzou and then Florida State. Would you be willing to pick Florida right now against Florida State? Would you be willing to pick Florida against anybody? Well, I do pick Florida against Mizzou. And just because I think Florida can out-athlete Mizzou, if this game was in the swamp, I wouldn't even hesitate. But Florida has clearly quit on Dan Mullen. You know, and the dancing in the locker room stuff after beating Samford, I mean, that's just, I don't know. It just seems a little tone deaf to me. But, you know, what happens if Florida, if they lose this week? If they lose this week, all of a sudden you're thinking, is it a reality that Dad Mullen could get fired? 
They're five and five with two to play. They got to win one of the two to get there. And so I don't think that the Florida Gator ticket buying public is going to be motivated to go watch Florida play in a ball game. Now there'll be some. There'll be your your your, your true blue Florida Gator fans will go. They're not a good bowl team. There's a possibility they could lose it. I mean, Dan Mullen could have a losing season this year in Florida, a year removed from winning the SEC East and nearly beating Alabama in the SEC title game. Life comes at you fast, Don. But I won't be the least bit surprised if Missouri wins this game. But I did pick Florida. I did pick Florida. Auburn at South Carolina. This is going to be awfully interesting, too. South Carolina needs a win to get Bo eligible. They're 5-5 five and five as well, and you look at Auburn and say, okay, well, you know, what, what's happening with Auburn? Auburn should win this game handily. Well, if they were healthy, I might agree. Of course, Auburn, without Bo Nix the rest of the year, he had season-ending ankle surgery uh, due to an injury he suffered against Mississippi State. We wish him the absolute best. Guy's a warrior, man. I can't even begin to imagine playing an SEC football game on a broken ankle. It's crazy to think about it. And, of course, they lose Anders Carlson, the kicker, also to a torn ACL for trying to recover the onside kick. South Carolina has got a little mojo. And listen, give, give Shane Beamer a lot of credit. Very modest expectations when Shane got the job and certainly even more meager expectations in year one. And here he is with two games to play, one win away from bowl eligibility. It's a much better situation than people anticipated. Of course, that is a 6 p.m. kick on ESPN, I like Auburn's ability to run the football, and I think there'll be a lot more run heavy with T.J. Finley back there. You know, Finley struggled the times at LSU to read coverages. It's one of the reasons he's no longer there. You know, he had the big game last year, and everybody says, oh, it's all, all, all over now. T.J.'s the quarterback of the future at LSU, and a year later, he's gone. It, again, life comes at you fast. But I like Tank Bigsby in this game. I really like the Auburn running game. I think they can probably line up and run the football here and win it. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. It could be one of those 28-24 type games. The Auburn defense obviously got exposed last weekend. I just don't think South Carolina has the offensive acumen to do what Mike Leach and his crew did. Because as you saw as that game went on, you know, the Auburn defense really, really, really began to wear down. Rather than be able to cover and move their feet, they're grabbing, holding. But uh, again, I think Auburn wins this ball game. Auburn, a little more talented team, and of course, South Carolina playing at home. You know, so it's a bit of a toss-up game, especially when you factor that Bo Nix is not playing. If Nix is playing, I would say Auburn wins this game handily. I do think they win it, but I do think it'll be an entertaining ball game. Uh, Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. You know, that's a six-thirty kick and. I don't know what the line on this game is, but I think Ole Miss can pretty much name their score. This is a really bad Vanderbilt team, and I understand it's year one under Clark Lee. But, you know, when they open a season losing to East Tennessee State, I mean, it was just a harbinger of things to come. I mean, it was a shock they beat anybody, right? They beat Colorado State, and Colorado State are obviously not a great team either, but you you thought, hey, what do you know? Then they beat, you know, they beat UConn, who was also awful. They're not going to beat Ole Miss. If they beat Ole Miss, it'll be one of the biggest upsets in the history of the modern SEC. But we just need Vanderbilt to make this a, a three or hopefully a four-quarter game. I just don't know that they can. I do think that Vanderbilt will be able to run the football a little bit. I think especially if Mike Wright is the guy, 
and maybe he's a package quarterback for them, I think that they will be able to do some things. Because I think Ole Miss's defense is better. I don't think they're as good as, uh, as people believe. But you know what? There have been some times late in ball games they needed to get stops, and they've been able to get them. So we'll see. Ole Miss still kind of looks banged up on offense. I know they got some guys running around. They've gotten them back, and they're, they're playing for something. You know, that's the thing you think about, too. You know, you look at LSU. As soon as they're out of the race, all of a sudden you start hearing, oh, well, this guy's out for the year. You know, and I've heard that some of those surgeries could have possibly taken place at the end of the year. But, you know, guys have an NFL future to think about. And it's like, hey, if the season isn't going anywhere, I'm going to opt out, have the surgery, be ready to go for the uh, NFL workout. So that's not the case at Ole Miss. I mean, these guys feel like they're playing for something. They still got the possibility of a 10-win season. No longer in the in the race to win the SEC West. I guess mathematically you could say they were, but um, that'll all be eliminated this week. But they still got a lot to play for. And so they'll be motivated and good to go. And uh, they are. It's at home. You know, I, I don't. I don't see any way whatsoever this happens. And, and I'll be honest with you. You know, unless Vanderbilt upsets Ole Miss, I don't. I don't see a plausible. I guess there is. That's not true. I don't see a probable way that State passes Ole Miss in the rankings. Is it plausible? Yeah. I just don't know how probable it is because let's say. You know, Ole Miss doesn't have a lot of room to move up. Mississippi State does. And there are a lot of teams between State and Ole Miss that could lose, which would enable State to move up a little bit. And you'd say, well, they're, you know, they're 12th or 25th. There's 13 spots between us. And let's say they don't move up, but we do. Let's say we move up three or four spots. And then all of a sudden you beat Ole Miss and you can say, hey, we'll pass them. I guess that's possible. I, again, I just don't know how probable that is. But we'll see. I'm not expecting it. South Alabama at Tennessee. And what can you say, man, about Hypo and those guys up there? And it's almost like people have forgotten they're about to go on probation. And they are. And it should be very serious sanctions. You know, we'll, we'll see. You know, there have been some times in the past we, we become experts of the, uh, the penalty matrix and then the NCAA doesn't follow their own model, right, Ole Miss? Uh, but, you know, Josh Hypo's done a good job. And that, they've been without their best running back most of the year. Then, you know, that's when things kind of got a little dicey for them offensively, but they have still found a way to put up some points. There is nothing right now that stands between Tennessee and a very sunny bowl game. Absolutely nothing. They're 5-5. Five and five. You can say, well, Steve, we should be ahead of them. Uh, they're going to win their last two, and they're going to be 7-5. and five. You know, And so you could make an argument, of course, that State should be ahead of them. But I think there is a good chance they're going to end up uh, – somewhere in Florida. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. LSU, of course, should blast Louisiana Monroe. This is an LSU team, I, I think, that has got some trouble in front of them next week with A&M coming to town. And A&M still got a lot to play for as well. So let's say they blast UL Monroe this week and lose next week. They're 5-7 and seven on the year. And I touched on that Wednesday. You won an AFL championship in 19 – and then you have back-to-back five-win seasons in the years that follow. Of course, those things get you fired. Of course they do. And maybe some people will do the research on this. But you win 15 games, and then the next two years, 10 games combined. It's one of the greatest falls from glory that we've seen in modern-day college football. There were so many people, including myself, that said, hey, you know what, Orsron's kind of got it figured out, just be the CEO type. Well, then they lose their coordinators. You know, Dave Aranda takes a job at Baylor. Joe Brady heads to the NFL. 
and everything changed. You know, that's, that's the issue with all this. It's, it's not just having the CEO type. He's got to have good coordinators around him, which is what I think Sam Pittman has done. Sam Pittman's a great motivator, a great offensive line coach, and I think he's really good at hiring people. Now, what happens to Arkansas when Kendall Browse and Barry Odom leave? And there's a chance with the silly season, with all of these major jobs opening, that you'll see Odom and Browse have an opportunity to go somewhere else and be a head coach. I think that's a realistic possibility. So what happens at Arkansas? Well, I think Sam Pittman is probably, probably a better judge of character than Ed Orgeron. I think Ed's a guy sometimes, too, where you know his ego gets the better of him. And he's like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, we'll do this. I think Sam's probably a little more judicious. I think Sam's got a little more staying power. And I don't think Sam's going to win an SEC championship or an AFL championship. But I think that program will have a lot more stability. And when you look at LSU, everybody's wondering well, who they're going to hire. And I don't know. But I'll tell you this, I don't believe these reports that come out and they say, hey, Lincoln Riley's been offered, you know, this huge deal. That smacks of agent talk to me. And I shared that on the jeanspage.com message boards. It's like usually, like, you didn't know what Mike Leach's salary was until he was hired. And that's typically how it works. Usually when financials get leaked out there, it's coming from agents. Because here's what happens. Let's say Lincoln Riley says no to that job. Right? Well, then the next guy's agent's going to be like, hey, you offered Lincoln this. Well, we didn't. But let's say Lincoln's trying to negotiate a contract extension from Oklahoma. It's, so it's in his best interest for that rumor to get out there. It's like, hey, oh, she's offering this guy, you know, $8 million a year. Well, Oklahoma's like, well, we got to do something. And so that's how the game is played. There are a lot of well-placed leagues out there that, you know, lead to a financial – windfall for a lot of coaches because and trust me i get those calls too like when we when we're doing our going through our coaching searches i get people that say hey i don't know if you know but uh hey mississippi state's talking to so-and-so and there are times that i'll know that that's not true but you still have to go research it agents want their clients names mentioned in connection with jobs because it creates traction it creates buzz now all of a sudden somebody's like oh wait a minute well, Mississippi State didn't hire that guy, but maybe we can. Yeah, that's a guy that's got SEC attention, you know, so maybe he's a better fit for us on the G5 level. Those things happen every day. So when the, a lot of these things get out there, and I've always said it's usually the first name that is mentioned is incorrect. It's like all the LSU people, and, and so many people fall for it. Oh, well, Mel Tucker's the guy. Mel Tucker's the guy. And now Mel Tucker's fixing to sign a huge extension with Michigan State, and they're probably going to overpay for him. But again, good representation uses the media the correct way to get the best deal for their clients. Because all of a sudden, you leak it out there that Mel Tucker's the top candidate at LSU. Well, now all of a sudden, Michigan State's got to make a move. Wait a minute here. And then the agents that can be disingenuous and say, hey, well, this is what we've heard. Now, Mel really wants to stay here in East Lansing, but you're going to have to get you know, comparable money on the table. We've got to have a pretty nice extension. You're going to have to pay us to stay. It's a game of poker. And a lot of times the agents don't play clean. They play dirty. And so when these things happen and these financial documents get released out there, more times than not, it's not always the case, but more times than not, it's coming from some agent somewhere that has leaked something to a media member. And it's the same thing every year. They contact this guy or that guy or whatever, and there's never any accountability. Nobody ever comes back and says, hey, 
I remember last year, this guy reported this, and it didn't happen. Because what happens is people get so caught up in all the, the coaching carousel stuff, they forget who reports what. They just take care. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Everything at face value, and you can't. All right, so I have uh, put together some bowl projections. How about that? That's what you want to know, right? So let's put this together. Let's assume that Georgia and Alabama went out and then Georgia wins the SEC championship game. Of course, if Alabama wins, it changes a lot of this. So for, for our purposes today, we're going to assume Georgia is undefeated, headed to the FBS playoff. Everybody with me? Okay. If that's the case, Georgia goes to the playoff, and I don't believe you get two SEC teams in. I think Alabama drops out. Kind of touched on that on Wednesday. 
So that, in turn, would send Alabama to the Sugar Bowl. And that, that's not conjecture. If that situation unfolds, Alabama will be in the Sugar Bowl. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else you know, tries to suggest. I don't care what anybody else wants. If Alabama loses in Atlanta, they're in the Sugar Bowl, barring something totally unforeseen. Now, there could be some upsets there in the top ten that could make things a little interesting. But let's just say that doesn't happen. Let's say that most of the chalk holds and Alabama's in the sugar. All right, so where does that leave Ole Miss? Well, if Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl, I think Ole Miss is in a New Year's Six. I don't know how you could argue against that. Probably in a Peach Bowl. Makes perfect sense to me. Assuming they win their last two games. And I think it's a pretty big assumption because I think they're going to lose the Egg Bowl. But let's say the chalk holds and they went out. I think they're in the peach. Well, then the Citrus gets the next pick. The Citrus gets the first pick of the remaining SEC teams that didn't make the playoff for the New Year's Six. Well, you know, based on what we've seen, if Kentucky wins out, I think that's Kentucky. Now, of course, if Kentucky loses a game, it gets a little more dicey, right? Because what if we have the same record? They have the same record. What if we pass them in the, in the playoff standings? And that's the thing, too. The, you know, the playoff standings, once you get out of the New Year's Six, is really just a tool. There's no guarantee. There's no obligation that the SEC or you know, the bowl reps have to say, hey, we want this team, but we can't take them because this team finished ahead of them. So there is some negotiation that can happen. A lot of it depends on you know, recency bias in some respects like if you've had a team recently you don't want them back because fans aren't going to make that trip you want a unique trip right so let's say the chalk holds and the kentucky does win out they're in a citrus bowl that's what i believe tennessee wins out they've been to the gator in recent years so maybe they go to the outback you know we went in 2018 we could actually have a better record but let's say, for an example, let's just assume that, again, that Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl. Then all of a sudden we have the same record. I think Tennessee would go down back over us. And then maybe uh, you end up with A&M and a Gator. Or maybe A&M's an Outback Bowl. You know, I, mean, I think those are your Florida Bowls. And I think at this point, again, if the chalk holds, I think Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, A&M, or Mississippi State. If the things fall just right, we could be in a Florida Bowl game. Now, where does Auburn end up? Well, that's a good question. I think Auburn ends up in the Mayo Bowl, former Belk Bowl up in Charlotte. I think Auburn, number one, is going to win this week and lose next week. There's a little bloom off the rose, too, because you don't have Bo Nix. And so our team's going to be as motivated to travel. I don't know. It's going to be a mediocre year for Auburn in many respects. As I've shared with you guys before, you know, this is usually the year that Auburn makes hay because you get Auburn and Georgia at Jordan-Hare. Well, the schedule flips on them next year. Now you got to travel to Athens. you got to travel to Tuscaloosa. It's a much different situation. So I think a couple of years from now, we could be having a conversation, you know, is, is Brian Harrison uh, coaching for his job? Three years in? Can you make that decision? If you said, let's say you go seven and five, eight and four, seven and five. Is that enough? I don't know. Maybe not at Auburn. Probably at Mississippi State or Kentucky or Ole Miss, but I don't know if it is at Auburn. 
I shared with you guys earlier, I think this Florida-Mizzou game is the Liberty Bowl play-in game. I think the winner of that game ends up in Liberty. How motivated are Florida fans going to be able to go to Memphis? I mean, they haven't been there very often, right, if ever. Arkansas, I think, ends up in the Music City Bowl. They're going to lose this weekend. They could lose next weekend. They could. And so where does Mississippi State end up? All right, I, I, I will tell you I have been told by some people that I trust that the Texas Bowl really wants Mississippi State. They really want us. But if we're 8-4, and four, they're probably not going to get us. So let's say Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl. We're headed to Texas Bowl. I, I think that's it's done. I think that is as easy a decision as you'll make. We've never been there before. They've never hosted us. It's in Houston. Uh, from what I'm told, our second largest alumni base outside of Birmingham, like as far as the out-of-state cities go, is in Houston, Texas. We have a, a large alumni group there. And so we would sell tickets. It would be a good trip. It's a unique trip for us. And so if we lose the Egg Bowl, I think without question, Mississippi State's in a Texas Bowl. Now, let's say Alabama wins the SEC championship game and you get two teams in the playoff. Well, now all of a sudden the Sugar Bowl's up for grabs again. And that's going to boil down to what happens in the FBS playoff rankings. Is there a conceivable way that State could be the third highest rated SEC team in the FBS playoff rankings? I don't know. Yeah, again, theoretically it's possible. I just don't know how probable it is. Because when you look at the playoff rankings, it is, uh, there is a lot, of, a lot of hoe to row if you're Mississippi State. It's not just about Ole Miss. There are a handful of teams that we'd have to pass. Now, you look at this and say, you know, recent history has shown us that when an SEC team loses, there's a pretty significant drop. It happened to us. It happened to Auburn. It happened to Arkansas. You rank, we were 17th. We lose to Arkansas. We drop out. Auburn was ranked 17. They lose to us. They drop out. So that's, you know, that's a nine-point drop, Right. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that, that an SEC team could lose and then lose several spots. But with the rankings pulled up in front of us, as it stands today, Ole Miss is the third highest-ranked SEC team in the playoff. If they lose to Mississippi State, how far would they drop? Five, six, seven, nine points? Don't know. Not exactly sure. But then you've got A&M right there at 16. So let's say State wins the Egg Bowl. A&M would just pass them. A&M would just move ahead. Because what games does A&M have left that they're going to lose? Well, A&M is going to smash Prairie View this weekend, and then they'll get LSU. Well, they should win both of those games. So even if you win the egg, and even if you pass Ole Miss, I don't think you leapfrog A&M. Because I don't think a and is going to lose. Now, let's say A&M loses to LSU, a non-ranked team. Well, then things are with them are kind of up for grabs. It's a completely different scenario then. Then you've got Arkansas right there currently at 21. They're going to lose. Mississippi State will pass Arkansas in the rankings this week. There's no question about that. And I've, I've read some people who have said, oh, there's no way. Are you, are you kidding me? Have you not been paying attention? So Arkansas is 21. State and Auburn were 17 and lost and dropped nine spots or more in the rankings. Arkansas at 21, 
losing, I don't care if it is to number two, they're going to drop out. That's what recent history shows us. So state wins, and I don't care how impressive the win is, we're not going to leapfrog a lot of people with a a win over Tennessee State, but there are some teams ahead of us that could lose that would allow us to have some ascension here. And so what I think is going to happen is that A&M, in that scenario, if Alabama wins in Atlanta, I think A&M is the team that benefits the most. Because I think A&M is going to win out. I don't think Ole Miss is going to win out. Now, of course, here's the deal, and you might as well go ahead and brace for impact. Let's say Alabama makes a playoff. Alabama and Georgia both make it, and Ole Miss wins the Egg Bowl. You know what, guys? They're going to be in the Sugar Bowl. You might as well go ahead and brace for that. So that's what they're playing for, a chance to get back to the New Year's Six. If it's not the sugar, it's likely to peach. Now, of course, we can be a fly in the Rebel ointment and win. Because everything changes if Alabama wins and then there is some chaos within the conference. And that's really what we want. If you're Mississippi State, you want to win and then have everybody around you lose. Because, again, you get a chance to get in the Florida Bowl game. But, again, there's a lot that has to happen. And, of course, state, it starts with State winning out. So we take care of business. I think the worst-case scenario for us is the Texas Bowl, which would be fun, right? There are a lot of people. Let's go back and kind of revisit our preseason goals, right? Show progress under the air raid offense. We can check that box off. Get bowl eligible. We can check that box off. Have a winning season. We know we win this weekend. We're guaranteed a winning season no matter what happens in the bowl game, right? Because the worst regular season record we could have is 7-5, and five, and even if we lose the ball game, it's a regular year, and get our egg back. All the things that we really wanted to do remain in front of us. And, again, we could be 8-4. and four. We could be 8-4 and four and have a top 25 finish if we win a bowl game. And that's not anything that was really on the radar this year. So I think we can definitely say that this year already has been a success. It could be a better success – obviously, when we beat Ole Miss. And it's like people say, yeah, but Steve, but Ole Miss is here. Okay, number one, Ole Miss is probably two years ahead of us in some respects because of the the experience of their quarterback. They were kind of built to win this year. And so I'm not the least bit worried about going to Oxford and playing next year. I'm a lot more worried about this one because Matt Corral is a very talented player. He's a little bit beat up, but the guy can really play. And that's one thing that I said from the very beginning. When they hired Lane Kiffin – there are all these John Rice Plumley fans. And I'm listen, I know John Rice Plumley's dad, who I hadn't seen him in years, but you know, he used to hang out in my neighborhood when I was a kid. It's a good family. John Rice, good kid, very competitive. I said the day they hired Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral's the best day of his life. Because now Matt Corral is going to be starting quarterback again. You know, Matt struggled, you know, with Rich Rod. Just a completely different skill set for the offense that he wanted to run. But there's not anybody on that roster that really scares me for next year. You know, Matt Corral's been a great fit for Lane Kiffin. You know, and anybody that's seen Matt Corral play early in his career, you could not deny the guy's arm talent. Even though his decision-making at times was dreadful, the guy could throw the football. And so now they simplified the game for him a little bit. He's got some more experience. The game slowed down. And so we're going to have our hands full on Thursday. And so speaking of that, let me share with you this, in case you, you were wondering – you're going to get four bone yards next week. That's right. That's right. It's Egg Bowl week. So we're going to have some fun with that. We're going to have your regular Monday show. We're going to have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. How about that? Four Egg Bowls on the boneyard. 
I can't promise you 90 minutes every day, but I'm going to try. We'll see. It depends on what we get. And I think it's important to understand that we're not going to have um, media opportunities all week last, next week. We'll get Leach on Monday, and that's probably it. Like, I get to work, man. I mean, you know, we're not in school. I mean, it's Thanksgiving break, obviously, but the reality of it is, is you know, we got to go win a ball game. Then a very important ball game. And so what I suspect will happen is that Saturday post game after we play Tennessee State, we'll get a handful of players, probably more so than normal, and that'll be your Egg Bowl preview, that you'll be able to go ahead and ask guys like Austin Williams and Will Rogers you know, about the Egg Bowl, and you'll have those quotes that are run the rest of the week. I suspect that's what will be the case. So we don't have a lot of activity next week uh, between Monday and Thursday, but we will get Mike Leach on Monday. And then I suspect no media opportunities Tuesday and Wednesday, especially with those lighter practices. And, um, yeah, again, I expect State to win the game. We're going to preview it and break them down in great detail uh, next week. So, really quickly, to recap this segment, your winners this week, Georgia, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Alabama, Florida, and that's what fingers crossed, I guess, Auburn, Ole Miss, Tennessee, LSU. Not a great week of SEC football because of some non-conference games, but uh, a couple of really good head-to-head games. I think the Florida-Missouri game will be very, very entertaining. And I think Auburn-South Carolina has the ability to be, be a really fun game too. So, All right, let's get to uh, the top ten list. Brought to you by Close at Blair.com. And Blair is your guest picker today. How about that? Blair Chandler picked today's top ten. I listened to many of the songs that he sent me. I didn't see a lot of difference between them, and so I decided to go with his his picks because he is a jam band guy. He's like, listen to all these, you're going to fall in love. Blair, I didn't. I, I didn't fall in love because I'm already in love. I'm already in love with rock and roll, man, real rock and roll. We're talking distortion paddles. We're talking drum risers. We're talking smoke. We're talking long hair, in your face, leather jackets. That's what we're talking about. Blair's a little different. Blair is a delicate little flower, guys. I mean, he really is. Love the guy to death. It's one of my best friends. But uh, we don't always agree on, on music. But one of the things we do agree on is getting quality work. And that's what Blair will deliver. If you're in the market to refinance your mortgage, visit closewithblair.com. That's closewithblair.com. I believe in doing business with Bulldogs whenever possible. I like keeping it in the family. You should too. Blair is a Bulldog, has a place here, season ticket holder in multiple sports. And he tells me that, you know, now's a good time to refi because rates are going to go up sooner rather than later. So take advantage of that. Reach out. Maybe you're looking to buy a home for the first time. Maybe you're looking to get an investment property. Blair is the guy to go. No, No doubt about it. And if you will mention to him, that you heard about him on the boneyard. You know what he's going to do? He's going to pay for your appraisal. There are a lot of fees and expenses that go along with refinancing or putting together a mortgage. And so he's able to save you some money just by being a boneyard listener. So mention to him that, that you heard about it on the boneyard, whether you email him or whether you call him. And I'm going to give you guys his personal cell number just because of the fact that Blair Chandler wants your business. Give Blair a call today or a text at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. So you're not, you, your message is not going to sit on some uh, you know, voicemail where somebody hides behind their voicemail all day. You're, you're getting Blair direct. 
one of the top 1% in close ratio nationally in the industry. He works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five lending institutions in America. It's not some subprime lender that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. You can do business with confidence with closewithblair.com. So Blair is a jam band guy. I am not. Some of you are. And many of you, I would say we've had 20 requests for this band. I've never done them because I always say I can't do this list justice. But here we go with the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead, and this is these are Blair's picks. You'll be happy to have them. So here are your honorable mentions. One of these songs I really like, and maybe it's because Tesla covered it on the five-man acoustical jam album. But it's Truckin'. Honorable mention for Truckin', Fire on the Mountain, Terrapin Station, Jack Straw, Sugar Magnolia, West LA Fade Away, and Ruben and Charisse. That's your honorable mention. So here are Blair's top 10 Grateful Dead songs. Now, BJ Cummings, if you're listening, I know you are. Maybe send me your widespread panic list, and we'll get widespread on here in the next few weeks. I know there are a bunch of widespread panic fans out there, too. I'm not. I don't get it. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just not my thing. But here's the Grateful Dead. Number 10, Morning Dew. Number nine, Scarlet Begonias. That's a great name. Kind of sounds like Blooms of Oleander, Scarlet Begonias. Number eight, Estimated Profit. Number seven, Ramble on Rose. I listened to that this morning before the show. That's a pretty cool track. Number six, Samson and Delilah. Number five, Candyman. Number four, Hell in a Bucket. Number three, Karina. Number two, He's Gone. And number one. It was kind of the comeback track for them in many respects before Jerry Garcia died. It's Touch of Grey. Touch of Grey. There's your top ten Grateful Dead songs. And, uh, again, the Grateful Dead, one of the cool things about those guys is they had the taper section. There were so many people out there. that You couldn't take pictures. You couldn't record the show. Well, Grateful Dead's like, hey, we don't care. You can come cover our shows. We love our fans. And so I do respect that about them. They are a California band for sure out of San Francisco, been doing this a long, long, long time, formed in 1965. So they've been, I mean, you think, I mean, my goodness, man. I mean, it's like you look at the anniversaries that are coming up. Uh, Some people consider them one of the greatest psychedelic rock bands of all time. They have a very eclectic sound. Some folk music, some of it is kind of borderline rock. They do some country stuff. Uh, Many of you are deadheads. I get it. I understand. It's just not my thing. There's a pretty great quote, though. It says, The Grateful Dead music touches on ground that most other groups don't even know exist. And maybe that's true. They were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 1994. I'm a big Rock and Roll Hall of Fame guy. I just wish we had more rock and roll in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How about that? Can we get Iron Maiden into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Can we get Whitesnake in? David Coverdale is in with Deep Purple. He recently commented on that recently, said it was one of the greatest experiences of his life, but he'd love to be able to get in with Whitesnake. I think they should. Whitesnake, I think, is a Hall of Fame quality band. It's uh, one of the cool ones, too. You know, the Grateful Dead, you know, after Jerry Garcia died, you know, people wondered if they would carry on. They did. And they called themselves the other ones for a while. And then it was just the dead. And now, you know, when they had the 50-year anniversary, people just called them the Grateful Dead. Now, they've been touring with John Mayer, doing Dead & Company. I know a lot of you guys turn out and go and see those guys. 
But, uh, you know, Mickey Hart, Jerry Garcia, those guys are legends in the industry. And you have to respect whether you like, like their brand of music or not. You have to respect the fact these guys are still out there doing it. They're still playing shows. They're still giving fans what they want. And there are so many bands out there that, like, they've made their money, and you know the Grateful Dead has, and um, they're still making things happen. And there are people that tell me going to a Grateful Dead show is like going to a religious experience. And I think their live act, their live performances, is one of the reasons that so many people kind of hang in there with them. Uh, you know, the wall of sound is their uh, kind of their claim to fame. They do a lot of stuff that's very different than other people. So there you go. Many of you have basically threatened me to do the uh, Grateful Dead list. And because of the fact that Blair loves the Grateful Dead and that Blair, spons- Blair sponsors the segment, I felt like, you know what, let's do it. And so I stayed after him for about a week to get us to list. We now have the list. And... Um, you guys can now enjoy this. So Roy will put that together for you. Matter of fact, I'm fixing to send Roy the uh, the list so he can put that together. Roy also not a Grateful Dead fan. How about that? And you would think, you know, God, it's a fan of the Avid Brothers. Maybe he would be, but he's not. So you deadheads, there you go. There's your list. Now we're going to get back to some rock next week. And I mentioned we're going to have four shows next week. So here are a couple things that we're going to do. We're going to do one list of my songs dedicated to the Ole Miss fan base. Top 10 songs that I would like to dedicate to the Ole Miss fan base. And then we're going to have kind of a Thanksgiving special as well. And then I'm not exactly sure we do what the other day. So we'll probably get on the list and look at some of the things. I had somebody message me and said, Steve, you haven't done Winger. And I don't know if it's true or not. I have to double check that. I don't know. Maybe we haven't done Winger. Maybe we should do Winger. I can come up with 10 quality songs from Winger. Maybe we have. I want to be like Stuart from, from Be With Some Butthead, though, sitting there in my black Winger shirt getting made fun of. I like Winger. I think Reb Beach, the guitar player from Winger, who is now with Whitesnake, one of the best guitarists of the generation. Guy's incredible. You go back and listen to that first Winger album. If you're not impressed by the guitar play, I don't know what's wrong with you. And there are sometimes some people have likened me to a dreamier version of Kip Winger. They don't call me beautiful Steve Robertson for nothing. But I like Winger, so maybe we'll do Winger. I don't know. But I, I do like the fact that uh, we can talk music on this show, and there have been so many people that have reached out to me and said, Steve, I love the top ten list. I would say 99%. There are some people that say, hey, Steve, I don't really like top ten lists. And you know what? That's cool, too. That's cool. There are a lot of shows out there. There are a lot of people you can listen to. Nobody's doing it as long and as in-depth as I'm doing it. But uh, there is room for all of us. You know, we don't talk a lot of wrestling on this show. Uh, my friends, Brian Haydad, Robbie Falk, they do. They do talk wrestling on their show. When I was a kid, I watched a lot of wrestling. You know, when Ani was a kid, I watched a lot of wrestling. We used to watch Monday Night Raw every Monday night. And then finally, I kind of got tired of it. But, you know, I like talking Mid-South wrestling kind of stuff too. But um, we just don't do it much on this show. We kind of do music. And that's what's happened. The top ten list kind of gravitated for a while it was all kind of different stuff. You know, it was my top 10 favorite Mississippi State moments. It was top 10 Mississippi State linebackers, you know, top 10 walkout songs. And then I ask you guys for list, and nine, nine times out of 10, it's a music list. Somebody asked me to do top 10 smells. I don't really know how to, how to approach that. 
You know, it's like, well, I said, well, give me some examples. Well, there's, you know, there's, there's fresh cut grass. Yeah, it smells pretty good, I guess. You know, money smells pretty good, too, when it's fresh. Uh, but the reality of it is top 10 lists here to stay. And uh, I thank you guys so much for your support of the list and uh, keep your ideas coming. There have been some great ideas, and uh, we have used a lot of them. And uh, got, we've got a pretty healthy list of options to choose from. So, again, four boneyards next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. My hope is that Friday boneyard, a week from today, is one of triumph and victory. That's my hope. And so we'll have some fun. We'll probably put a list together on that, you know, based on the results of the Egg Bowl. I do expect to win the game. I don't know that I would have said that a month ago. But I do expect to win the game today. I think Mississippi State's playing exceptional football. We got to keep getting out of the. We got to stop getting these big holes in the uh, first quarter. But the reality of it is, is, this is a team that shows they can come and play from behind, and that Ole Miss defense has been rather leaky at times. And so I, I think it'll be a pretty high-scoring game, uh, especially for us. So we'll see how things progress uh, between now and then. So next week, four bone yards, four top ten list. Uh, a lot for you to look forward to. I know many of you will be traveling for the holidays, so we want to provide some of your soundtrack. And, of course, I know if you're traveling for Thanksgiving, you would love to hear the preview. Um, and then also, too, you know, we've got um, you know, some cool things to talk about. So, uh, And then you know, Friday, of course, if you're driving back from going to see Grandmother, you'd probably enjoy having an opportunity to hear me talk about winning the Egg Bowl. Just kind of how life works. All right, let's get into the next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. You know how lovely she is. They are your family. They are happy to help you. You can go by and see Miss Pam Mangard, who is a great friend of mine. Love her to death. So much going on uh, at Campus Bookmart. You need to, listen, Christmas will be here soon. So we're going to save you a little money. Shop with Campus Bookmark. They'll have some Christmas specials. Miss Kathy Brown will have the store filled with Mississippi State merchandise. You can go by and pick it up today, take it with you, or you can visit them online, courtesy of the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, a Starkvillian institution. Go by and check them out. You'll be glad you did. You can get everything you need on your Christmas list for all the Bulldogs uh, and your family. Matter of fact, if you're looking to buy my books, you can order all four of them from Campus Bookmart. As while you're getting your Mississippi State hoodies and all of your uh, Mississippi State Christmas memorabilia, you can order some books. How about that? All right, let's, uh, let's look at a couple things. I told you guys that I was working on something pretty cool. So I sat in with Mike Leach and the offensive staff post-practice on Wednesday. Had a chance to sit in, kind of a fly on the wall. I'm going to write that article on Sunday at jeanspage.com. It'll be a free article. If you're not a member of Jeans Page, you should be. But even if you're not, you'll be able to enjoy that behind-the-scenes look at Mississippi State football. Now, here are a few things that I'll tell you to kind of preview the article. One of the first things that I'll tell you is there are a lot of people that think Mike Leach Leach is somewhat aloof. He's not paying attention. You know, he's just kind of there to be a figurehead. That's just not the case. I've always been a Mike Leach fan. And then after having a chance to kind of watch his mind work, I'm even more of a fan of Mike Leach. It's pretty incredible. 
So here's what happens. So we sit down and we watch practice reps from practice. So here's the deal. Practice ended around 6. We had media opportunities with Zach Arnett and Eric Mealy. That ended around 6.30. And uh, I went into the room and I waited. And then a few minutes after 7, Mike Leach walks in. And so in the time it took for practice to end and the time for the staff to eat, there was a catered meal. Players, everybody's eating. They've already got the cut-ups of practice. They already have them. They have each play already loaded into XOS, which is a uh, digital filming service that uh, Mississippi State subscribes to. Most uh, college programs in the country use XOS. And so Leach walks in, everybody gets quiet, sits down, the meeting gets started, and we begin working through offensive line reps. Now you would think right here Mason Miller would take the lead, but he didn't. Mason Miller is basically sitting there answering questions and Mike Leach is like, hey, well, this guy did this, and this guy didn't do this. His hands are good here. His feet are not good there. He overextended here. He locked the guy down here. And so Mike basically goes through all his reps and breaks down every guy. Then a guy makes a play, and he's like, hey, okay, who was that kid? Oh, that's, okay, so-and-so. So I say that to say this, is that Mike Leach knows where every player is supposed to be on every single play. It's not just the quarterbacks. It's not just the receivers. He's watching all this, and, and the, you know, they say the devil's in the details. He is incredibly detail-oriented. We've always talked about how intelligent Mike Leach is and how he became an attorney. And he's a guy that just kind of sees the world a little bit differently and sees football a little bit differently. But after watching it up close and personal, it's even more than we think. It's like I had these preconceived notions of what I thought the whole thing would be about. And listen, there's some funny things that happen in that meeting. But it's mainly business. You sit down, you go through business, and you, you break these things down. And then when there's maybe a change in, in the weather or a change in the topic or you change personnel groups, then there's like maybe some room for some silliness. But it's very, very professional. It's very organized. It's very regimented. So we get down with offensive line play. But here's the, here's the thing that I think is important is uh, the access. You know, is that Mike Leach is willing to teach and to kind of share kind of what goes on behind the scenes, kind of show how the sausage is made a little bit. And so I felt honored to be there. But it's one of those things, too, like there are a couple things, too, that, uh, that you know, kind of on the cutting room floor. But, like, there was a particular play, and I won't tell you which play it was, but it was a particular play that uh, is kind of a staple of the offense. And so one of the things that Leach brought up is like, hey, there some teams have kind of caught on, kind of caught on to what we're doing. So because we love running this play and because it has been successful for us, how do maybe we tweak it a bit to make it more successful? So let's take the play. Let's, all of a sudden, Leach is like a magician. He's like, okay, well, what if we have this guy sit here? Then all of a sudden then – you know, the linebacker has to recognize that or has to respect that. And if we have this guy kind of get a little skinnier here, then that pulls this safety here, which opens up some space for the wide receiver to run here. And so it's like this puzzle where everything works together. Everything. You know, and some of those guys out there are running just to kind of impact the defense to create a matchup that is advantageous to Mississippi State football. That's what's remarkable to me. It's not, okay, well, this guy's got to go win your one-on-one matchups. You hear that a lot. 
But in this offense, yeah, you have to win that. But you've got to do your job even when you're not the target of influence. If you're not the primary receiver, I mean, you might even be a decoy. But you have a job to do on every play so that the team can be successful. And it's incredible to watch it all unfold. It's absolutely incredible. And um, Rufus Harvey did some nice things in those cut-ups. And, uh, and Leach, you know, had some questions. He goes, hey, Steve, how did, you know, how did LaRufus get most of his yards in high school? You know, what, you know, what was he? Was it returns? You know, it was catching, you know. It was catching. And I don't know that we've seen the best of Rufus Harvey yet. You know, he's, he's got a great catch radius for a smaller guy. He's a great route runner, you know. And, um, but he did some nice things on film. He did. And uh, there were a couple plays, too, where, you know, it didn't all go perfect. I mean, you know, that, that's why you have practice, right? I mean, you know, practice is you kind of work through things and you make some mistakes, you get it corrected before the ball game. There were a couple things that not related to Rufus. There were a couple things that happened. And, um, you know, Leach then kind of runs the, the, the film back. And it's like, let, let's see what he saw. Let's see maybe what he had in his mind on this play. What is his read here? You know, and how do we kind of correct him to do this? And so there are a lot of people that say, hey, no, this is the route. But Leach is looking at it a little more, you know, cerebrally, like, okay, well, maybe he saw this because there's a lot of option routes in the offense, and maybe this is why he took the path that he did. And so you watch it from a couple of different angles, and he goes like, yeah, that, I, I, now I kind of see what he saw. And I think that shows what a great coach of Mike Leach is. You know, he's – he kind of sees things a little differently rather than just go out there and jump on a player and say, Hey, you ran the wrong route. Well, let's see what influenced that decision. And then all of a sudden you begin to ask yourself, okay, well, what can maybe we do a little differently to ensure that that guy gets to where we want him to be. Very, very important for sure. But the entire offensive staff is there, including the offensive GAs. And uh, you sit in that offensive meeting room, and, and uh, there's a lot that goes on. And so after the meeting was over, the, you know, the staff broke, and, and uh, it is a longer day for those guys. But one of the things that Mike Leach and I talked about privately that uh, I wanted to share with you guys, you know, a lot of people have talked about his schedule. Well, you know, he sleeps late. He stays up late. He's a night owl. He's up sometimes 2 and 3 in the morning. Well, he says those Sunday and Monday night film sessions, at times that's how late – because that's what it takes. Because when you get to your Tuesday practice, you need to have everything in. When the, when the players come back from the Monday day off on Tuesday, they've got to know, okay, here is the plays that we're going to run this week. Here's our script. And this is what we're going to run them against. These are the looks we're looking for. So you've got to have these marathon film sessions and kind of break everything down – while the players are unavailable. You don't want to spend your available time when the players are available doing things that don't allow you to interact with your players. So Monday is a huge work day. Because, I mean, listen, your staff works seven days a week. It's not as simple as, oh, well, you know, the players get a mandatory day off. Your coaches don't get a mandatory day off. So typically Monday is the mandatory day off for players because you have that Sunday post-game cleanup practice where you kind of you watch film and you kind of go back and maybe clean up some things you messed up on Saturday. And so when the guys get there on Tuesday, everything is installed, everything. The game plan is together, how we're going to attack this, what we're going to do, personnel groupings, all that is already finished. 
And Leach made a comment to me because there's a lot of coaches out there. You know, they want the staff there at 6 a.m. Well, you don't even get to see your players then. So you don't get your players until the afternoon because the players are in class. The players have to go to school. So rather than sit up there and kind of twiddle your thumbs and look at each other uh, and work these marathon 18, 19-hour days, Leach doesn't force those guys to come in early. But he expects them to stay late. You know, and so he made a comment, too, and basically the crux of it was, I want to be available when my players are available. When they are free and they're in the complex and they're in meetings, that's when we need to be here. Now, we've had some coaches that have had different philosophies on that. You know, when Dan Mullen was here, I mean, you know, it was like, you know, early to bed, early to rise. You know, we're going to be here early first thing. We're going to kind of break things down. And so you did a lot of the same things. You just did them on a different schedule. And then, you know, there were other times, too, and I won't say who, but, you know, there have been some coaches in the past. I mean, it's like as soon as practice is over, we're knocking each other over trying to get out of there. Well, these guys, as soon as practice is over, they watch practice film of that day. What did we do in practice? How did so-and-so look? And so your players are constantly being evaluated, constantly. And one of the things that I picked up on, too, is we talk about the progression of our offensive line. One of the things that Leach pointed out is, man, he goes, man, those, those scout team defensive line really give us a good scout look, that those guys really play hard. And many of those guys are never going to play a meaningful snap in maroon and white. But this is their contribution to the program, is to prepare your offensive line. You know, we can all take on that Rudy, Rudiger mentality from the movie Rudy. It's like, hey, that's my job. I got to get out here and play hard to get you guys ready for the next game. You see that with our scout. You do. And that's not to say they don't win some reps every now and again, because they do. They do. And they play hard. They work hard. They do a good job. And Leach pointed that out. And he pointed out, too, he thought Malik Heath really practiced hard on Wednesday. And uh, those are the things that I think that you guys need to know. You know, it's like, you know, and there'll be a full article with a lot of great detail on Sunday, kind of detailing the experience. And, um, you know, Leach is always a very inquisitive guy, too. Like, you know, so I'm walking down – I've been in a SEAL complex, I don't know, 200 times maybe. I've been there a ton of times, and not just for media opportunities. I mean, I've been down there to interview coaches. I've been down there to, to get information. The place has never looked better. So, like, when Dan and those guys moved in, it's like we've got this great new cathedral. It's like we bought a new house, and we just put furniture in here and never put anything on the walls. That's pretty much what happened. And so when Joe got there, they wanted to kind of start detailing things out. And it was one of the things that Dan and I talked about prior to him leaving. He said, yeah, you know, we need to spend some money kind of detailing the place out. It looks incredible. Now, that all started under Joe. And then it kind of got finished under Leach. But what's interesting, you know, you walk down the hallway, and it's not, you know, there is a section for your NFL players. There is, there is a, a hallway where we kind of honor our former Bulldog greats. But the hallway where the coaches' offices are, I mean, there's tons of, play, of player pictures there, and they're incredible. But they're your current players. It's like we're celebrating our current team rather than our teams of the past. I think that's significant for a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, these are the stars of today. And so there is, uh, there, you know, there's, there's graphics and raps and things like that. You would be incredibly proud of how nice that facility looks now. Listen, it was great when we moved in. It was. But now that we're here, it's like we've hired an interior decorator to kind of make it a little homier. 
It's almost like, uh, you know, MTV Cribs. It's incredible. And, and there are some things they're doing downstairs now to kind of detail the downstairs area out a little bit. And that's where a lot of your players spend a lot of their time, obviously. And so we, we talk a lot about all the things that happen on the field. But there are things that happen off the field that I think are just as important as you guys need to know about. And so they are doing their best to improve the player day-to-day experience as much as they can. And you don't think recruits pay attention to that? I mean, you come in, you walk down the hallway, hey, I'm thinking one day I'm going to have my picture on that wall. You know what? I can compete. I can come here and play. And so the SEAL complex, the touring of the facility, is, much, is nicer today than it's ever been. Ever. Now, one of the things, and there's been some spirited discussion about this over on the Gene Space message boards. One of the things I asked Mike about that won't be in the article. It's just about, hey, do we feel like we need to expand the recruiting staff? You know, like the off-the-field recruiting analysts and things like that. And so I've actually asked some other people within, you know, um, you know that have some, some say in all this. And so, you know what, hey, Coach Leach can hire who he wants. It's up to Coach Leach. And so I asked him. And he's like, you know what, Steve, we might do that. I don't know yet. I'll have to visit with, you know, Emmerich and uh, Matt Dudek after the season's over and uh, kind of see where we are on that. But right now is not the time. Right now is the time for us to get ready to go win a couple ball games and improve our ball pecking uh, order uh, as best we can. You know, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing there. But you can tell Mike Leach, while he is laser-focused on football and on the next game – he is not oblivious to the other things around the program. He is thinking about those things and says, yeah, I'm, we're going to have some conversations about that. But now is not the time for that. We're getting ready to play two games in basically, you know, six days. Now is not the time for us to say, hey, bring me all those job applications for all those recruiting analysts. Let's run through that stuff. That's not the time for that. But there will be. And listen, I'm in favor of expanding the recruiting staff because I think the more eyes you have on things, the better. I'm not saying you go out and hire people to hire people, though. Because listen, guys, listen, it was so thick with people in uh, in the Sill Complex when Joe Moorhead was there. You know, you, you could barely get you know walk in there. I mean, we had so many QC guys and so many analysts and so many people in there. And a lot of that too is Joe trying to give guys a chance. You know, a lot of guys that are trying to break into the coaching profession. A lot of those guys I've I got left and got jobs at Austin P and went with Mark Hudspeth. And so that was kind of Joe's focus. Is so let's you know let's put a bunch of guys in here and we'll teach them coaching and and uh not to mention you're kind of cultivating assistant coaches for the future you know and so it's a little different with Mike I mean like one of the things that I was told you know as soon as Mike got there is that you need to tell these QC guys to find a job you tell those guys to go find a job because I can't guarantee they're going to have one here and a lot of those guys did obviously go somewhere else and of course the football scoops of the world made a big deal out of it you know but you know we had an army of people here we had more people than we could ever use like a friend of mine said earlier today, I mean, our sideliner, Joe Moorhead, was like Alabama. And a lot of those people didn't have a real function. And so we don't want to get top-heavy staffing-wise in that respect. We're forking out all this money to people that don't have a function. But I do think you can add a couple more recruiting analysts, maybe three, you know, and say, hey, here's what we're going to do, you know. But it's got to be under the umbrella of what Emmerich and those guys want. And what's interesting, too, I don't think people fully appreciate this, the recruiting staff at Washington State – was Dave Emmerich and Brittany Thackeray. So they didn't really have, they don't really know what we had here. And of course, we keep the majority of the team together. Now, Mason Smith, of course, is gone to go to LSU, and I hope that things work out for him, you know, with the turnover in the staff there. But, you know, Rod Gibson is still here. You know, we've got some guys that are here that are doing a good job. 
But we kept that group together, which kind of helped us keep the class together. But do we have what Alabama has? No, we don't. We don't have the resources Alabama does, too. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't add a couple guys. I think, again, I think we probably should. But I don't think you can hire a chef and then go tell him, okay, use these ingredients. you got to let the guy work his own magic. And, again, you know, the, the, the point of context is a little different. When all you've had is two people, now all of a sudden you've got, you know, a half dozen or more, you think, man, this is better than I've ever had it, but it still might not be enough. But, again, you've got to have a function for those people. You don't want to just hire somebody just so you can come out there and say, hey, we've hired a couple more recruiting analysts. they got to, they got to work. And one of the things, you know, to hear some guys in the room talk is guys like Dave Emmerich and Matt Dudek are obsessed with all this stuff. They're obsessed with recruiting. It's never just something they do. It's not a nine-to-five thing. They're obsessed with it. You know, and we've got some guys on the staff that I understand that, you know, they're constantly breaking down film and forwarding out to your coaches. Say, hey, coach, you need to look at this. You need to look at this guy. We found this guy. We heard about this guy here. Almost to the point that, hey, it's like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. But those are the guys you want. You, you, you want guys you got to say woe to and not sick them. And so it sounds like we have a good nucleus. Can we add to it? Yeah, probably should. But I think that's got to be Mike Leach's call, and ultimately it is. But he's going to defer a lot of that to the information that he gets from Dave Emmerich and Matt Dudek. I mean, and I can promise you, as aggressive as those guys are, yeah, they're going to want some more staff. But, you know, we've already outgrown the SEAL complex. I don't think people fully appreciate that either. So when, uh, when they first opened that thing, the media room was supposed to be upstairs to the right. And then they moved us into a kind of a glass room to the left. And then the right side over there, they had a pool table and they had some PlayStations and it was like, you know, kind of a player lounge area. Well, then we started hiring all these recruiting folks. Well, they moved Mike Villagrana and his group up there. So they didn't have an office per se, which is kind of an open air you know, former lounge area that now had some some working spaces put into it, and it became more of a functional space. Well, now the former media room, uh, there's some coaches using that as, a, as an office. You know, and for a while there, that was the photo shoot room. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like when Joe would go bring the players in, they'd put on the MSU gear. So there was like a changing room where they could go, and then they'd go get in front of the screens. And so – We've got all that, and then now we're looking to add some some employees. And so it's like you've got to kind of figure out, okay, what's the best use of our space? What's the best use of our of our salary dollars? And so I just share that with you because nobody's pinching any pennies around here. Nobody's saying, hey, Leach, you can't go hire these guys because we just don't have the money. Nobody, nobody is doing that. That's been the narrative by some people, the misinformed narrative. It's like, hey – well, they just won't let the guy hire anybody. He can hire what he wants. And, you know, he's a guy, too. It's always like, you know, people are like, hey, you know, coach, we want to go out here and, and do this IPF or whatever. And he's like, I don't even use the one we got. You know, so it's not as an emergent need with him. Now, it's probably something that we need to do, obviously, to, uh, to kind of advance our, you know, our recruiting efforts and expand, enhance the, uh, the, the student-athlete experience here. But it's not something Mike Leach is just kind of sitting around there thinking, man, we would win more games if I had this. Mike is making use of what he has, which is what he's always done. And so, again, a very, very rewarding experience, and I'll, I'll share that with you on jeanspage.com for free on Sunday. 
All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know the folks at Portico. It's a great group of guys and gals that are um, working through this whole deal to make Starkville a better place. They've put together this great residential development. It's very easy to find. You guys have passed by the entrance many times on your way to campus. You turn off of 82 on the Highway 12, like you're going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. That'll lead you to Portico. It's 1.1 miles from campus, and it's on the best side of campus, the quiet side of campus. Right There's some businesses on the other side that we all frequent. You're not in the middle of all that hustle and bustle. You're on the back side of campus. You're off the highway. You're tucked in, kind of nestled in, in a quiet area. Close enough for convenience, but far enough away to have a little privacy. If I was moving to Starkville, it is absolutely where I would move. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Got that great walking trail. And here's the cool thing. We've already sold out phase one. That's done. Phase two, already got a few lots sold. And the folks that bought those lots were able to pick their lots and have some say in the house plans. It's like, hey, this is where I want to live. This is the kind of house I want to have. That's a pretty cool experience. So while you can't move the portico today, you can move soon. And you can have some say about the home you're moving into. It is a great place to live. Incredibly convenient. Very easy access to both 82 and 25. You can get to wherever you need to be and get home without having to fight a lot of the traffic on Highway 12. How cool is that? And if you forget to go by and pick up a loaf of bread or or a gallon of milk on your way home, you can swing by the neighborhood market right there just across the highway from you. Pretty cool. Be glad you, you, uh, you, you learned about that. So, Portico, make it your next move. And to make it easier for you, you can call Brooks Bryan. Brooks is part of this great uh, group of this residential developers. 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. Brooks is my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State. The guy that wants to make Starkville as great a place as any to live. Again, make Portico your next move. Let's spend our last few minutes together talking recruiting because you know, here the, we're, we're basically in the sprint now. We're less than 30 days before the December signing period. And it's easy to get caught up and thinking, oh, man, you know, we've got plenty of time. We don't. We don't. Because here's what's going to happen. Uh, the Sunday after the Egg Bowl, your coaches are going to be on the road. And then we're going to start signing players December the 15th. It's not like it was years ago where, you know, we had all the way to February. And majority of Mississippi State's commitments are expected to sign in December. Majority of our targets are expected to sign in December. So it's going to be a pretty busy stretch. So as soon as the Egg Bowl is over and you guys begin to exhale a little bit, we'll be like, oh, we got recruiting. Yeah, we do. And unlike last year, we're going to have official visit weekends. And there's going to be a huge one December the 3rd, and there'll be another one on December the 10th. Going to bring in some JUCO guys December 10th. A lot of your high school guys will be here December 3rd, along with many of your commitments and your priority targets from the high school ranks in hopes of maybe doing some positive peer recruiting. Now, I shared a little nugget on jeanspage.com earlier today. I got a message. Wide receiver Xavier Thomas, former Louisville commitment Xavier Thomas, has been a priority target for Mississippi State for a while now. Out of John Eric High School in Marrero, Louisiana. That's a suburb of New Orleans. 
190 pounds, a legit 4-4 guy. There are a lot of people out there that sell for Porta 4-4. This guy is legit. Low 4-4s. This guy is an absolute track star. Guy can really make some things happen. His composite rating, according to the industry analyst, 86.76. That's good enough for a three-star rating. He is rated, uh, I guess, right around the top 35 in Louisiana, and it's a good year in the state of Louisiana this year. He is being recruited primarily by Steve Spurrier, Jr. Now, he, this is when Spurrier begins to kind of make his money, right? You remember last year, it's like, you know, things kind of begin to, we're getting down towards the end, and we think we kind of got all figured out. We had Malik Neighbors committed. Of course, he flipped LSU. We had Teddy Knox committed. And then all of a sudden, he went out and he got Antonio Harmon. We had Jacoby Moore committed. And he started thinking, okay, well, that's enough, right? No. No, then we went and got Ra-Ra Thomas. You may be familiar with the name. Yeah, he was Rodarius Thomas last year. Now he's Ra-Ra. And he went and got Simeon Price. They make the coaching change at South Carolina and spur your pounces. Well, last week, we had Marquez, Marquez Dorch, one of Spurrier's guys. Now there's a really good chance we're about to add Xavier Thomas, another fleet-footed receiver. And so this is one of the things that we talked about when Spurrier Jr. showed up, you know, from South Carolina. This is a guy that was at Carolina when they got Alshon Jeffrey, when they got Jadavion Clowney. This is a guy that understands the recruiting process. And that's one of the things that I've learned about life. You know, I grew up in South Mississippi. We used to deer hunt. I don't anymore. As soon as I was able to drive, uh, I stopped deer hunting because I wanted to go out on Friday nights. I was chasing two-legged deer. Um, But the reality of it is this, is when you've got a great hunting dog, it doesn't matter what what patch of woods you put him in. A good dog just hunts. You know, a bad dog just kind of sticks to the trails they always know, which is we've had some of that before. I mean, you've got to have some guys on your staff that know Mississippi. You absolutely do. But you have to have some blue-chip quality recruiters. You have to have guys like Steve Spurrier Jr. And so here is what Steve Spurrier Jr. brings, too. You know, a great knowledge of the Mike Leach offense. So he can sit down with the wide receiver and say, hey, here is how you fit. This is what we would want you to do. This is our culture. This is how things go. Now, a normal Mississippi recruiter probably wouldn't have that information. So it takes a combination of that. It takes Tony Hughes. It takes Steve Spurrier Jr. to make these things work. It takes Jeff Phelps to make these things work. And speaking of Phelps, it's shaping up to be a good defensive line class. We've got to finish. Now, this time last year, people were like, oh, we've got to fire this guy. And we end up having a really good class on the defensive line. Now we've got a chance to, to duplicate that and be able to stack these defensive line classes together. And that's, that's a thing kind of moving forward. You know, we, this is a line of scrimmage league. Even though we're going to throw it around a lot, you got to win in the trenches. And so now all of a sudden, nobody's complaining about Jeff Phelps because it looks like Mississippi State's going to get Trevion Williams. I firmly believe that. State's still very much in the mix with Jaheim Otis. Now, not ready to call that a flip. But State's going to get an official visit weekend of December 3rd. He's supposed to go to Alabama the next weekend. And what's interesting is here we are at November 20th, November 19th, I guess now, and he wants to take all five official visits. It's going to be difficult to do that unless he takes some midweek visits. But I'm told that he will spend the full weekend at both Alabama and Mississippi State. Once he gets here, you roll out the big maroon carpet, and you've done all you can do. I mean, how many times in the past have we had guys like N'Kobe Dean that were big-time blue-chip recruits, and we couldn't even get them to visit campus. A.J. Brown, for that matter. 
you know, we've had those guys in the past. We hadn't been able to get that done. Well, we're getting it done with Jaheim Otis. And, of course, he scheduled the visit. And, you know, he's still got to show up. But he's been here a handful of times. And so I say those things because even if it doesn't work out, and I still think there's a good chance that it does, but, again, I'm not ready to call it. He's still committed to Alabama. He in no way has backed off that commitment to Alabama, even though he hasn't really acted like a committed recruit. He spent a lot of time on our campus. He's taken uh, one visit to Ole Miss, in which he left at halftime. But my point being is that he is still working through this process. So it is still remains a possibility that State could flip him. But how many times in the past have we not even been able to get to this point where you have some guy that's committed to a big-time school and then, and then doesn't come? You know, we, we're out of the game pretty early. We're still in the game here. And so I think, again, that kind of damages that false narrative about how Mike Leach's staff can't recruit. I think what, what's happened now is you've got some guys that have had to go out there and dig and fight and scratch and claw, and you've put them in a region of the country where the rewards are a little more plentiful. They've never been in a situation as a staff that they've had so many Power Five recruits within the natural recruiting footprint. You know, it's like Leach and I talked about this as well. You know, when you're in Pullman, Washington, the most remote outpost in the Pac-12, you don't have a whole lot around you. If memory serves me correct, Pullman, Washington is closer to Boise, Idaho than it is Seattle, Washington. So all the better kids in Washington go to Seattle. They go to play for the W. They go to Washington. Spokane, Washington rarely ever produces major Division I prospects. And so even though it's a, it's a nice-sized city for the state of Washington, it's not a, a recruiting hotbed for football talent. So they had no real natural recruiting footprint. So they'd have to go to Texas. They'd have to go to Florida. They'd have to get into California. And so you're out there recruiting these guys to come to a place that they're very unfamiliar with. It's unlike anything else they've ever known. And they got to deal with those Washington winners. And then you put them here in the southeast where you got better facilities. It's closer to home. It's got to work. It makes good sense when you got a good coach and a good staff that now has access to better players than they've ever had before. So, again, keep up with us over at jeanspage.com. Paul Jones and I will be adding updates pretty much every day over there about recruits, kind of keeping you abreast of what's happening. We do think State has a realistic chance to get in the top 20. Uh, top 25 seems to be – pretty much, I would say, assured. If the chalk holds, top 25 for sure. And if we get a couple of breaks, top 20. And uh, we haven't done that much this century. You can go do the, the, the math yourself. You know, I guess Jackie Sherrill did it once, Dan Bowen did it once, maybe twice. You know, we just don't do that very often. Uh, but this is a chance to be a really good class and uh, with a really good staff that can develop players, I think you can feel good about the Bulldog future. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. And you can pre-order your copies of Dogpile. It'll be out at some point. I hope to have a better update next week when we get a chance to talk. And uh, I'll have a chance to visit with some people and get you guys an update. I hope we get them before Christmas. Can't guarantee that. I'm kind of at their mercy just like you guys are as well. I did my part and I got done writing August 26th. And uh, everything was forwarded along. The publishers sent everything to the printer. And uh, we were told they'd reserved a spot for us. I don't know if they did. You know, but it's like when we first got ready to do all this, usually it's about a six- to eight-week process to get a book printed. And they thought, hey, it's probably going to be closer to, uh, you know, eight to ten. And it's already been that. You know, so it's done. You know, we're just, we're just waiting. And it's all going to be okay. You know, it's just a, 
you know, it's frustrating for me. I get messages every day, and, and listen, I, I welcome those messages because I want to communicate with people. You know, not my decision, nothing that I can do to move it forward, but uh, I am the point person. It's my name on the book. So uh, I appreciate your support. You can find four of my other books available on that same website with three of the books on that website, uh, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And, of course, you get Blooms of Oleander pretty much everywhere other than that website. You can find it on Amazon.com. Uh, or through your local bookstore. Stark Villains gear available at StarkVillains.com. Seen a bunch of those Stark Villain hoodies here as of late. It'll be cold tomorrow, too. I'll be wearing a hoodie, too, but it won't be a Stark Villain hoodie. Uh, we'll see what we can surprise you guys with all that. So let's have a great weekend. Look forward to talking to you guys on Monday and, of course, four Boneyards next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, as it is Egg Bowl Week. Look forward to seeing everybody at Davis Wade Stadium tomorrow. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, Tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.